Hi, and welcome back to The Curious Case of Freedom. As we have seen in the last episode, introjects are modes of behavior, norms, and mores that we had to accept first by force. Taking them in on the basis of forced acceptance, we could not assimilate them properly into ourselves. Since the price was too high for us to reject them in our formative years, we repressed our intrinsic aversion and instead swallowed them whole, and learned to identify with them as if they were our own. The problem is that as long as they are left undigested, or indeed unexamined, they are lodged inside us, and stand in our way of growth, authentic connection, full experience of our environment, and critical thinking. When we find ourselves intrinsically attracted to a subject matter, we interact with it playfully. This is when learning occurs. The new material we come into contact with, we taste, as it were. Chew it over. Destroy it, that is, destructure it and digest it in detail, to integrate it and assimilate it into ourselves. It is then that our newly acquired knowledge can be used flexibly and efficiently, because it has become second nature to us. On the other hand, in their book Gestalt Therapy, Excitement and Growth in the Human Personality, Pearls and Goodman give the examples of forced feeding, forced schooling, and forced morality as the origins of introjection, concluding that they result in literally thousands of unassimilated odds and ends that are lodged inside us undigested, and as they stand, indigestible. This is not to say that every norm, value, or mode of behavior that we have learned in our formative years, we have introjected. Just as we develop teeth that help us transition from suckling at our mother's teeth to chewing our own food, ripping it apart, destroying it so that we can digest it, just like we can defecate what is indigestible to us and assimilate and integrate for our growth what is nourishing for us, so do we have the capacity to do the same with any other mental foods, ideas, principles, and mores. Introjects are born out of our natural need to fit in, to feel safe. Especially as children, it is safer to accept the imposed norms of behavior than risk losing the love and protection of our caregivers. And so, every time our parents told us, good children don't get angry about such small things, we learned that anger is unjustified, and we must repress it rather than give it a voice. When they said, don't cry, we learned that it is unacceptable to show grief. When our teachers said, why can't you just sit still? We learned that there's something wrong and deficient about us. And when they said, because I say so, we learned obedience. We internalized the voices of our parents and teachers, these voices that do not belong to us, but that later dictate our inner chatter, our narratives of how things should be, what is unacceptable, and how people ought to behave. 
These are all introjects that are lodged as unexamined beliefs inside us. There are, of course, introjects whose content it is reasonable to accept. In the book Gestalt and Process, Dreitzel gives the example of a patient who had introjected from her mother the maxim, you must always take care to live healthily. This is good advice, one might think, but introjected as a you-must-always rule, and in a culture with a wide range of organic foods, organic cosmetics, fitness programs, and wellness centers on offer, it led this patient to lead a very strenuous life. Instead of simply listening to her own body and paying some attention to what she ate based on her innate capacity to be aware of her own needs, her needs were cluttered by the pressure that she must always live healthily, to the point that her self-image and self-worth were tied to it, and resulting in an obsessive-compulsive behavior and an eating disorder. However, in many cases, introjects tend to get sabotaged, evaded, and eroded by the person in which they are lodged, simply because they have a stifling effect on our lives, and our elan vital constantly reasserts itself. This is why often, unconsciously, people who are obsessed with achievement repeatedly manage to fail. Organic food lovers or vegans might occasionally get caught eating a cheeseburger, or a fastidiously tidy person inadvertently makes a mess. These forms of sabotage are often not conscious. They're usually kept secret, and are always followed by a bad conscience, in this case, neurotic guilt feelings, which fail to prevent them from happening again. On a very visceral level, our feelings, when they are not obstructed by introjects, tell us very clearly what we are attracted to, what appeals to us, what we wish to come into contact with and explore further, versus what we wish to avoid what we are averse to, what appears to us as false or fishy. Disgust, for example, is a natural barrier we all possess. It is a defense against taking in what does not belong to us, what is indigestible or foreign to our nature. It needs to be overridden to shove the introject down our proverbial throats. The child's original ability to pick a balanced diet appropriate to her needs is overthrown by an arbitrary scheduling of officially designated correct foods in correct amounts at correct times. The child eventually adjusts to this by gulping down whatever is given with just as little contact with it as possible. Do that enough times with enough things and you end up gulping down all sorts of unnatural and arbitrary mental foods. And so we preserve society, or rather the status quo, for still another generation. The tendency to try and control the child's behavior, food intake, rhythm, and so on, by replacing his own regulatory ability with that of his parent and other adult authority, is not something that is done with nefarious motives or maliciousness. It often comes down to convenience. More fundamentally, though, I believe that it stems from a fear that is projected onto the child, 
a fear that the child will be maladjusted and not be able to find his place if he is not fitted into society the way it is currently running. The caregiver's perception is born out of her own introjected concept of how things ought to be, how a child ought to behave, and of how order will be maintained. And so, the cycle continues to turn. Whatever the motive, it results in the starving of the child's proper needs and his repressing of disgust and his ability to feel his own boundaries. The process of true assimilation of any material that we come into contact with entails aggression. Aggression in this context does not mean violence. The food that we take in, for example, as I mentioned earlier, we chew, destroy, destructure, and take apart before it can be digested. And finally, we extract, defecate what is not nourishing to us. With mental foods, ideas, and concepts, this process is not any different. It is comprised of checking our premises, examining the contradictions, recognizing logical fallacies, until we assimilate the knowledge and can then call it wisdom. This process of taking things apart requires an aggressive, destructive, and reconstructive attitude towards any experience that we can truly call our own. And yet aggression is often conflated with violence and is therefore dubbed in our society as antisocial. Ironically, social in this context often means being willing to interject and accepting by force and without question norms, codes, and institutions which are foreign to man's healthy interests and needs, and in the process to lose genuine community and the ability to feel oneself fully and experience joy. The state, as I understand it, is the epitome of an interject. The political unit of the state is the only so-called legitimate institution in our society that is rooted in coercion. We do not voluntarily choose to be citizens of the state into which we are born. We do not volunteer to pay it tribute. It's unlike any other voluntary group, society, or organization with which we choose to associate or disassociate ourselves. And yet we learn to identify ourselves with it as if it were our own. Past and present leaders and political parties are often referred to as if they were literally us, and the policies and political choices that they made are stated to be ours. As I mentioned earlier, an interject is first taken in on the basis of forced acceptance. But with time, we surrender and accept it. It is then lodged in ourselves. What's more, our ability to distinguish between interjects and those concepts that we have successfully assimilated is impaired so it's hard to even tell which is which. Every political state that exists today came about through conquest or usurpation and has its origins in violence and force. But generation after generation, grown-ups teach their kids that the state is necessary to keep the peace. The organizing of society through coercion has become so ubiquitous that we can no longer tell the difference between the state and society.
we have learned to swallow whole such inherited beliefs that conflate the state with orderliness, democracy with freedom, anarchy with chaos, and morality with law. Indeed, many can't tell which is which. For centuries, using the state apparatus, neurotic people, and as a neurotic person myself, I say this with utmost empathy and compassion. Neurotic people who found themselves in positions of power have attempted to impose their own understanding of what is moral by law, by authority, and by force. Sticks and carrots, punishments and rewards have replaced our intrinsic sense of morality. Much like the infant whose defenses have been attacked and put out of commission by its caregivers, so is our own ability to develop as moral agents being attacked and replaced by appeal to authority. I've even heard it argued that without the state, we would all be running around killing each other. The irony in the statement is self-evident, and yet I believe that most people hold a similar belief to one degree or another. After all, such a belief is necessary to justify the existence of the state. Introjected morality separates us from ourselves as critical beings and as moral agents. We appeal to authority to punish or reward us, to threaten or bribe us, and we either submit or rebel. Freed from introjects, a non-neurotic morality does not consist of a set of rules of conduct imposed from one neurotic to another but develops out of our awareness, out of our innate capacity as social beings to empathize and to recognize our own humanity in others. It comes from integrating our aggressive nature rather than repressing it. I believe that when we uninquisitively adopt norms, opinions, mores, and modes of conduct, we program ourselves in an alienating way with commands of institutions to be likened to mindless robots. The opposite of a mindless robot, however, is a human. A human who knows what he is doing, who decides for himself what he wants and what he doesn't, who finds out for himself what does him good and what harms him, who has a taste and aversion and invention of his own. Thank you. How on earth to proceed when your conviction required me to act in my conviction is that nobody's got the right to be. Forcing others to act Even if they do believe They're trying to protect themselves or me To require I put something into my body So that you can feel Safer in this world of attacks When you come 
threads of affliction across at me An act so violent and extreme My legs shake like so many leaves Forcing me to retract And I can see that you believe I'm just a selfish human being For my desire to put nothing into my body So that I can feel Safer in this world of attacks When you cry